Hi, this is Danielle Carissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 198 of Art for Your Ear. I have wanted to interview American artist Beverly Fishman for years, but I have to be honest, I was kind of scared to ask her. <laughs> Not only has she shown her work all over the world, she was also the head of the painting program at Cranbrook for 26 years. Yeah. Well, luckily we have a friend in common, LA-based painter and educator Samantha Fields. I reached out to Sam to see what she thought, and she said, go for it. Well, actually, her direct quote was, Bev loves to tell stories, and she's super engaging. She's also very honest and straightforward. She gives a great artist talk, too. I've had her work with my students on multiple occasions, and they love her. Oh, and she's also wildly funny. Okay, that sounds good to me. So I put on my big girl pants and sent this iconic artist a DM. She said yes, and here we are. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. Sam was exactly right. Bev is fantastic. And all of you that have messaged me and asked me for the podcast to be even longer, well, you're going to be thrilled because I'm pretty sure this is the longest one yet. It's packed to the brim with stories, insights, and no-nonsense roll-up-your-sleeves-and-get-to-work advice. So, let's do just that, calling Beverly Fishman in Michigan. Hi, Beverly. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Thank you for having me. I, I'm so excited to meet you. I'm glad that we have our video turned on so I can actually see you it's 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 never as good with just a dark screen and you have no I agree I agree it's <laughs> a, it's too abstract it really is yeah. um so I know lots of people that know you and go on and on and on about how amazing and wonderful you are so I am thrilled <laughs> that you that you're here and um I can't wait to hear your whole story so oh my god Okay. Well, I'm older than those people, so it's a long story. It's not a short story, you know? Perfect. That's what people want. They're like, make these episodes longer. I'm like, okay, Oh, my great. God. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go back. It's like a therapy session. Let's go back to the beginning. Um, I want to hear about where you grew up and if you were an artsy kid. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a small suburb outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at the age of about four, my father's sister, who was an artist, took me to the Philadelphia Art Museum and did not explain that I was looking at art or what art was. And I, it had such a huge impact on me. I thought the paintings and the sculptures were real, like they were real events. I didn't understand oh. uh, that what they were an object. It took many, many years later for me to realize that some of the images, scary images that had stayed in my head were actually paintings or artwork. So at age four, I went to the art museum. <laughs> And I was really taken with Dali and um, a painting called Prometheus Bound and the Duchamp where you look through the hole and it's shocking. And uh, so my aunt bought me a set of oil paints at age four. Wow. 
And my parents were not art people and they did not understand oil paints at all. Uh Neither did I, (laughs) neither did I at age four. And so, and she bought me back then it was Grumbacher and you could buy a, a, um, a, uh, sort of like sets for different things. And she had bought me a set for landscape painting. And in that set, and they were tiny mini tubes. And in that set, there were ochres and siennas and greens and browns. There were no bright colors in the set. Like yellow ochre was the brightest, which is fairly dark. (laughs) And she bought me canvas paper And I would be in the basement making these paintings. My parents were concerned. They were so dark. Uh, You know, there was no, uh, I mean, I, you know, this is, and the brushes, each time I'd make a painting, uh, I'd put them down and they would be hard as a rock when I'd come back. And my mother would go out to the store, the dime store, buy me more brushes. No. And um, I carry around those, small, uh, uh, I, I still own the Grumbachers that are left from that set. Wow. And that uh, is when I became an artist. I love it. So, oh my God. Um, my parents were very, very supportive of me being an artist and got me into a Saturday class and this and that but they really didn't understand art, but they were very empathetic about, about it. Mm-hmm. And did your aunt live nearby? Like, could you, did you grow no, up still? No, she lived in Long Island, which was about three and a half, four hours from us. And she was kind of strange and <laughs> a little bit strange, you know, as an artist, when your family's like, you know, uh, you, you know, who takes a, a four-year-old to look at uh Prometheus bound where the, <laughs> you know, the livers being eaten, you know, like there was no, there was no filter, right. you know, and it wasn't that, uh, I liked her, but I didn't understand right. her, you yeah. know, and I didn't get to know her much. She didn't come down often. So I didn't really get to know her. Um, but I knew art must run, you know, my father was like, well, art runs, you know, my sister, is an artist. Yeah. And, um, but I had a best friend and I'm still best friends with her since I was two years old. Her mother was, um, an artist. I do make a distinction, uh, between someone who thinks about their work in relationship to the world Mm -hmm. and what they want to say and someone who makes their work, but isn't really interested in, in that level of communication, mm-hmm. meaning makes it, loves making it, uh, but isn't imagining themselves speaking to a broad audience or who that broad audience might be that right. they're speaking to. And she had classes and I took them. And to be honest, I wasn't, there were classes I took where I was not encouraged, meaning people didn't necessarily see that I was some genius artist until I got to first grade when, you know, like I said, it's a long story. I know. I love it. I love (laughs) it all. Um, 
where my art teacher, Mrs. Carmen, kind of took me under her wing and I got to know her and she was extremely supportive. And like I said, my parents took me, you know, if I wanted an art class, they made sure I went to an art class. Mm -hmm. But um, it, art sort of dragged me into it. I wasn't sure I was going to be an artist uh, like full time or what that would be. I always knew I wanted to be an educator, which I became, mm -hmm. or a lawyer. <laughs> uh, and um, and I think educating and being a lawyer is very similar. I mean, you you know you say what you think, and you're trying to convince people that there's truth to it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I yeah. mean, I think there's some similarities, and hopefully, the best case, lawyers are trying to help people. <laughs> That's so funny because I became an artist, and my sister became a lawyer. Well, I think, you know, yeah, maybe it, we're not so different after all. <laughs> I mean, I think it there's I think I made a connection. I yeah. personally made a connection. But um I took a class in a summer session at Philadelphia College of Art, which is now called the University's University of the Arts. And that was in my 11th grade. Mm -hmm. And I met um an incredible, brilliant feminist icon, uh Ree Morton who a lot of people know. She passed away when she was young from a car accident. Oh. Uh, but, um, you know, she's in the Lucy Lepard book and she had a solo exhibition at the Whitney. And um, I pretty much decided then I was going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I, that was my calling and I was sure of it. And um, sort of like the rest is history. I've lived my life in service of making the work, meaning not doing certain things, not taking that extra job, you know, so I had time, um, living kind of on the edge for many years, mm -hmm. um, just willing to juggle, uh, willing to juggle so that I could have enough time to do the work. Right. Yeah. Making it, it your, your priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was and always the center. It was always the center. It's so, it's so obvious when you look back at all of your work too, you know, it's, there's just so much and you've explored so many areas. So when you're in the 11th grade and you've, you've decided you're going to be an artist, were you thinking in your mind, did that mean painter or did that mean everything under the sun? I thought I was going to be a painter. Um, but I wasn't exposed to other forms, which when you go to a, a really great art school, basically in freshman year, you get exposed to so many things. So I was limited in my scope of what I thought an artist would, could be or would be. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point when, uh, and I was very lucky because the really early 70s feminists that are in the history books, uh, like Cynthia Carlson, who was just in that uh, pattern and decoration show with a huge wall installation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was exposed to very strong women artists when I was young. That's amazing. And um, I know Ree Morton saw something in me. She took me aside and told me not to let anyone try to change me, that they would try. And I'll never, I mean, it stayed with me because 
uh, it just did. There were certain things all along the way that always that stuck. Yeah. And um, and so you know, I've just you know, I continued. I mean, I, I took a year off in between undergrad and graduate school. And um, I ended up going to Yale and it was a choice because <clears throat> Mel Bachner, who was a good friend of Eva Hesse's and Eva Hesse had passed, pretty much I wanted to, Eva Hesse was dead and Mel Bachner was a good friend. And when I called the school, the, the only thing I asked was, uh, who is teaching next year? So I wasn't, you know, I wanted to know who my mentors were going to be. Yeah. And they said, well, from New York, Mel Bachner and Elizabeth Murray. And I had gone out to Chicago Art Institute to visit the school because I had been accepted. And in 1976, Elizabeth Murray had a painting show at a gallery. And I was so deeply moved by this work. And I even have still somewhere have the card and a little pin with a heart on it. And so I knew the work. And when they said Mel Bachner and Elizabeth Murray, I said, okay, I'm in. Like, I, I'm, yes, I'm coming. And uh, so wow. it, was very, it was very important to me in graduate school to work with people that uh, I respected. And it's probably because my undergrad education was so powerful. You know, and I, was, and I was exposed to feminism and those feminist artists, you know, in person. Right. And, that, it's, and, that's so powerful and amazing because my, my undergrad experience was horrible in the mm -hmm. 90s um, where I was told, um, you know, I, I had a lot of humor in my work and I was mm -hmm. told by my male professor who was sort of the head of the department, he said, you know what, look, it's bad enough that you're a woman, but if you try and bring humor into your work too, you'll never be taken seriously as an artist. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And when the wrong things stick, it's so yeah. bad. And when the right things stick, it's so, so good. Well, I mean, you know, I have to say that all along the way, people said no to me. Right. In many different ways. Uh, I knew who I was. Yeah. And even when I was at Yale, I knew I was going to be an artist. And I didn't know if they were going to be artists. Hmm. But I knew I was, for better or for worse, that's who I was. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, so in that way, you know, living through years of poverty. I mean, I was like so poor in, to be able to do the work. Um, you know, it was draining and scary a lot of times. Um, but it's who I what like there was no, yeah. I didn't see another choice. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when I got out of grad school, it was interesting because a lot of, when you went to Yale in the late seventies and a certain time, 
you went to Yale to become an educator, right? You got out of Yale and then you became a professor or some, some sort. I was about to turn 25 years old. I didn't feel I had enough life experience to be an, a full-time educator. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of colleagues of mine went on to teach full-time and basically in my mind, what could they teach? They could only teach what was taught to them. Yeah, because excellent they had, point, yeah. Because they hadn't had in, uh, enough life experience on their own to develop their, to develop a, um, uh, a you know, a worldview of yeah. what was, in, and also in education, what was important and what wasn't important. Being able to look back and say, you know, this really worked or this didn't work. Yeah. So having that ability to step back, uh, you know, I, I wanted that. And so uh, I worked part-time. I did a bunch of really crappy part-time jobs. I mean, there was, you know, <laughs> like, what did you do? I, I babysat. I mean, I did every, I did anything, you yeah. know, and I had a significant partner uh, who kept the lights on, mm -hmm. who was an artist. We were on the edge, but he always made sure we didn't go over the edge. <laughs> yeah. But and he allowed me, but he allowed me in the relationship to be uh, more on the edge. Right. Right. And so in that time, did you have studio space or were you working in your apartment or where were you doing this? Well, after I made sculpture at Yale. And that's what I was going to ask. You did. Yeah. You, that's when you. That's I when mean, you were sort of exposed to sculpture. Was that in Yale or well, did you touch on it in your BFA too? I mean, it developed out of my thinking. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uh, being exposed to it. I've always tracked my ideas. And so the form and the form had to follow content. Right. It was never about style. It was never about material. It was, this is the content I'm, I'm interested in. What form does it need to take? Mm -hmm. What material does it need to be? And then it needed to be that whatever that material was. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I taught myself what I needed to know, basically, and I taught myself from the position of being a painter. Okay. So things fell apart because I didn't know how to build them. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I was like, boy, this looks good. And, you know, let me spit on it a little more and put a little glue. It might hold that sort of, you know, thing. And I just developed the work um, conceptually. And it's always been about concepts mm -hmm. first. And so it's a long kind of story about the body and identity and moving through the body to the cellular and from the cellular. I was interested in medical imaging and technology and how science imaged us or imagined us and fractured us. And, um, you know, this was, pre, you know, some of this was very much pre-computer. So I was buying medical books 
because that's what existed. There was no computer to go online and look right. at images. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kept showing the work, you know, I was, I made rules with myself that every week, uh, and back then it was very expensive. It was slides, you know, and you had to give it a return address. That was huge money for me. Yeah. But every week I made myself put something out. Wow. I had, I had, I'm extremely, uh, what's the word? <laughs> it's not. Driven? <laughs> yes. <laughs> meaning, meaning, and I always used to say to my students, you know, and I believe this, never let the world define you. Never define yourself. Mm -hmm. And if it takes your whole life, then that, oh, well, that's what it took. You know, like people would say you're too old if you didn't make it by a certain age, you know, and I was that age. Right. And they were like, you know, I'd be like, oh God, you know, not that it wouldn't hurt or sting, you know, right. but it didn't, it didn't stop me from thinking, uh, you know, to keep going. Yeah. You're not going to quit. Yeah. You're not going to stop just because. Well, many artists do. Yeah, I know. That's why this is so powerful because I, I've heard this from so many people and I love everything you're saying because you just have to know who you are and keep pushing forward with your ideas because you can't not. Well, you, it's a decision that you make every day, even if you don't think about it that way. Mm -hmm. All the decisions you make in your life are about, are you going to live as an artist or attempt to live as an artist? Or are you going to want, you know, uh, something else? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was at Cranbrook, I, it's a graduate program, you know, it's a master's of fine art. And I was a mentor to about 15 or 16 students that came only really to work with me. And, um, you know, I used to say, and there were students that disagreed. The studio is the center of your life and everything else uh, is around it. And I had students who didn't believe that. And that was fine. That was fine. But it wasn't what I was going to teach. Hmm. Yeah. It's not a sideline. You mean art to me, like you came to Cranbrook because you thought you wanted to be an artist. That's why you came to work with me. Then, to do it. <laughs> well, you know, when I used to think to myself, I used to think I knew who 10 years down the line would still be working. And sometimes people would really surprise me both ways, whether the one that I thought maybe wouldn't was. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, something I've kind of lived with is, and I don't know when I, ad when I exactly adopted this because I was at Cranbrook for 26 years, um, I would meet with the second years in final meetings as a group. And I'd say, I want you to decide what success is for you. Love that. And it's not about what someone else thinks success is. It's what you do. And then think in terms of a one-year increment, a five-year increment, a 10-year increment. And I also would tell them this, and again, I'm always the educator, you know, 
uh, let's say you move somewhere, like a lot of them are going to move to New York. And I would say, give yourself two years, but evaluate it at the end of two years. Was it a good move? Don't get right. stuck. Don't get stuck. Don't say, well, you know, I'm here, but I haven't been able to figure out how I can do my work or whatever. And I'm not happy. Oh, but I'm going to stay. Right. You know, like, like evaluate, is this a good thing for myself and my work? So ref reflect as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what do you want? What do you need? And I think in that too, it's so important is to, because I tell people that too, you know, decide what you think success is and then don't look at what other people's success is. Like if that wasn't your goal, you know, you can't go, oh, well, look, look what they're doing over there. It's like, well, that wasn't your goal. So focus on, and if you want that to be your goal, then yes. make that your next goal. Yes. You know, I agree. If you're envious of someone, go be it. Yeah, totally. You know, if it's, if it gets under your skin, um, you know, then, then ask, you know, it must be something you really want. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never, I mean, really, uh, I've been like the steady worker who worked and just kept working. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, people say, well, you know, you, you know, my students would say to me, well, you made it, you know, you've made it. And I'd be like, no, I'm just a working artist. I get to work. Uh, that's a, like, I'm thrilled. I get to do my work. I get to do the work I've always dreamt of making. I can afford to do the work I want to make. That's a dream mm -hmm. of mine. Uh, I'm a working artist. I always would say to them, I'll tell you when I'm, I've made it. <laughs> and, I, and I always, and I'm not there. <laughs> do they, my, what does that even mean, I wonder? What, what does that mean to you, I've made it? Well, there's certain museums I would like to be in their collections. Yeah. Certain exhibitions. You know, there's things, but... You know, the thing is, with all the different successes and awards, you wake up the next day. You have to go to work. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like it lasts. It's not like something <laughs> you like lay around and say, I got the blah, blah, blah. Who cares? That was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Back to you the know? studio. Yep. Well, cause, because that's who you are. You're an artist. You're not, you know, sometimes, like recently I gave a, a lecture. Uh, and it is online, and I think it was a good one uh, for me. It, it was through the Society of Contemporary Arts at um, Chicago Art Institute. Um, okay. And uh, it, I can it's put a link into the post so people can I think go it's, watch. I think it's going online. And, okay. it, and I started with my 80s work, and I went up to the present. And, um, you know, people say, well, you're, you're prolific. Compared to who? I was looking at Van Gogh in the last year of his life. I think he made 260 paintings and drawings, whatever. Am I prolific like Van Gogh? No, I'm not as prolific. Like, it's all who you compare yourself to. Right. And my comparisons were always way higher than me. Not, not people 
like me and not people below me. I don't care about people that are on my side. I mean, when I say I don't care, meaning they're not the people that I, that stay in my mind that inspire me. Right. It's people that uh, did something that for me is profoundly life altering in some way. Right. So uh, I never think about like, oh, so-and-so, I have more shows. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, okay. I know. I think of it like a ladder. It's like, I always want to get to the next rung, you know, yeah. and I'm always proud of myself when I get to the rung I was trying to get to, but then there's another one and I try and get up to the next one. And it's- I never try and get to the tippy top of the ladder in one step because I'll just crash. You know, I just sort of picture it as like, okay, mm-hmm. next one, next one, next one. And it keeps you sane, but it also keeps you moving forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I well, want to ask, so um, jumping back a bit, when you were poor and you were um, in between, but like before you started working at Cranbrook, um, what kind of work were you making? Like if you, if you couldn't afford the materials that you were dreaming of using, what were you sort of doing? How were you still making work you wanted to make? Well, I lived within my means, meaning Mm -hmm. I made work with plaster and chicken wire and paint. I mean, I made, you know, work that I could afford to make. Yeah. But I wasn't like then, that was the work I really wanted to make. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, uh, the year I got out of grad school, Uh, I had very little money. I mean, I had no money. I mean, it was, you know, I'd spent it all in grad school. And uh, I made collages that were about eight and a half by 11 inches uh, on my kitchen table for a year before I was able to get a tiny room in a bigger studio. And, you know, so I went from making sculptures that were life-size, you know, like scale, to these small collages that were very dense and layered because I was trying to get enough in them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I think you work within the limitations that you have. If you only have a pencil and paper, you've got to figure out how to work with it. Yeah. Uh, it's, and I, we're creative people. And so we always think outside the box and we always think of things that, you know, hopefully are, are, uh, surprising. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you figure out a way to make it work. That's right. You're given what you're given. And the other thing is the art world is not fair. Life is not fair. Um, I have great friends who are great artists who do not make a living off their art at all, who are trying and it's never worked. I mean, is it fair? No, I mean, no, life isn't fair. Mm -hmm. It, It never has been. I mean, there's great artists that don't get representation and Um, my view was always, I just want to be one of the working artists Mm -hmm. and everyone defines like, what is a working artist? Well, 
when I left Cranbrook two years ago, I have a very large studio and I'm able to do my work and I have exhibitions lined up through 2023. And, you know, uh, you know, but this is fairly in the last, you know, maybe five, 10, 10 years, things have been growing and moving. Uh, but I'm 65, going to be 66. So for anyone who thinks this happened, you know, five years out of grad school, uh, think again. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, this was, I worked a full-time head of a program by myself and I worked seven days a week and, you know, I wasn't afraid to work. Yeah. Well, and it's, I, it, when it's things that you love, you know, like this is what you wanted. This is what you mm -hmm. wanted. You wanted to be an educator. You wanted to be an artist and you're doing it. So, um, that's a success right there. You know, it's how, how long, Oh, sorry, it's a ahead. huge no it's a huge success yeah to but the juggling it was you know i became yeah. exhausted you know I, you know it was exhausting cuz i was giving 150% to the grad students and trying to give 150% and i know that a lot of full-time educators do not get to be in the studio as much as they feel they should or need to and it's just you know, trying to find a balance. Yeah. Were you able, I mean, I guess you were able to, cause you were creating that whole time, but yeah. Did you sleep or no? <laughs> I sleep and I need to sleep. Um, every year my contract, I wasn't tenured every year. I had to sign a new contract. 26 I, years, 26 years. Oh and, um, and every year, when I would sit in the meeting, I would, and I always kept this, you know, in my mind, if I wasn't being an artist, I needed to leave the job. Mm -hmm. You know, because my thought was, uh, that is really at the core of who I am. And if not, and if I'm not, I need to leave. Mm -hmm. And so every year it was like, yes, I got a good amount of work done. I did what these, you know, whatever I, you know, so I evaluated, which again, I think people slide into years of never truly reflecting on what is going on. Is there a way to change it? Is there a way to make it better? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to reach out? You know, people say, well, it's been like three years. I haven't been in the studio. That wouldn't happen to me because three years would not have gone by ever without me thinking about why am I not in the studio? Right. And so there's always going to be reasons why you can't be an artist. Always. There's zillions of them. Mm -hmm. Zillions. And, and I know them, yeah. you know? Uh, and there's always a million reasons. And... Like it's you, a decision. It's a decision that you make. Oh, yeah. it is. It yeah. is absolutely a daily practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I just did a talk um, a couple weeks ago at Harvard. Well, via Zoom. Um, fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> and um, there was a student in the class who asked a question at the end, and he said, um, you know, I'm doing this work, but I don't have the money right now to use the supplies that I want to use and to get the space that I want to get. So I think I'm just going to work another job for like maybe 10 years while I'm saving up for this. And I said, 
no. And he was, he was 10 like, years. Yeah. He's like, well, cause I really want to use like light and like really expensive stuff. And he's like, so I'm just going to save. And I just said, no, you're not. And he was like, what? And I said, nope, you're just going to make in 10 years will be another excuse. So I said, I challenge you that by this July, I want you to make something with what you've got. Like if it's cardboard, it's cardboard That's instead right. of marble, you know? Exactly. And I said, I want you to go to a storefront and ask if they'll put it in their front window or get together with some friends and, and put a, a show together in someone's garage. And I said, but I need you to do this by July. And he was like, okay. And you could just see the fear, but I was like, if you don't do that, this 10 year plan is just never going to happen. The 10 year plan is, you know, when I, when I left Yale, all I wanted to be was a working artist. I didn't define what that was in super particulars, right? but I wanted to be able to work. Well, my students, when I would tell them that, you know, as my goal, they thought it was kind of strange. And I'd say, no, when you are out in the world and you have to make a living and you're paying for your apartment or whatever, or, you know, all the things we need Mm -hmm. to be in the studio working (laughs) is a huge deal. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's not minor. (laughs) No, it's not. It's a major thing and if you can figure it out it's major yeah and making that time for it I had um um, an artist who's a professor at the University of um Tennessee and he had said that when he with his senior students he always says to schedule because your whole life is art when you're in your MFA or your BFA that's you know you've got your studio space but then you graduate and you're working at a coffee shop and whatever to pay your bills and it's like he said you need to make your studio practice just as important as your job at your cafe. So if someone says, hey, we're all going out for pizza, you say, well, no, it's my studio time. Because you would never just blow off your job because you need it. So he's like, you need that. You need to make it just as much of of a priority as anything else you're doing and decide on those hours a week that you're going to be in there. And that is a commitment. Because the world doesn't see the studio. A lot of the world sees the studio time as like malleable. Yeah, and frivolous. Frivolous. Yeah. And so that's why who your friends are, who the people you surround yourself with, mm-hmm. when they are like-minded, they understand. Yeah. When they're not like-minded, you know, and they're, or they're not supportive, they become, it becomes problematic. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I was fine being on my own. I mean... I don't know if you can tell, but at this point uh, in the conversation, <laughs> I am, it's in my brain. It's not about someone else. You yes. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I had colleagues and peers that I highly respected uh, that I connected to. I didn't need to connect to them every day or be around them uh, every day you know, once a week, but I needed them. You know, I, I needed to know they were there. I needed to know I, we could get on the phone and talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to also respect their practice. Mm-hmm. And again, that has to do with being around people that uh, inspire you. 
Yeah. Uh, and that, um, that you can think about them in a way that um, brings energy to yeah. you, yeah. not takes energy from you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's and- like what you're saying about evaluating too. Not only evaluating, is New York working for me or is this working for me, but like evaluating the people that you're around. Are these people, do they get me? Are they supporting, you know, that's so important. Well, I think when you get out of grad school, most most of everyone thinks they're going to be an artist, especially in an MFA program. But then, you know, I have followed my former students and a lot of them are friends and they lament so-and-so isn't working anymore, Mm. you know, down the road. This one isn't working anymore. This one, you know, is doing blah, 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 and is no longer in the studio. I said, well, you never know. They could come back to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends who had children and when they got to be a certain age, they went back full time into the studio. They figured out ways to be in the studio. Uh, I have friends, women, friends that had children that never really didn't go in the studio, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then there are people all along the way that stopped making work. And my feeling is do not lament them. That's their road. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's a decision that they made for whatever reason. And, you know, I had a friend, uh, a a very good friend of mine um, who stopped making work. And then one day he called me. He's like, I'm working on my desk. I'm I'm working again. And I was like, that is fabulous. And then... A year later, I got myself a little studio. It's really tiny. And then when you're, when you're in New York, Bev, you want to come by the studio, you know, when there were like hundreds of things. And um, so people find their way back. Everybody's mm-hmm. road is different. Yeah. It's karma. Yeah, yeah. It's your, it's your, you know, it's your life's work. I wanted this and I imagined it Mm -hmm. you know I saw this for myself it wasn't you know I I try to envision not I try I envision what I want yeah I don't like it I don't keep it abstract anymore oh I wish I had the blah 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 no No. I wish (laughs) I had xyz (laughs) manifest yeah and then go get it or at least let the cosmos know. Yeah. Do you actually write it down, what you want? I did in January this year was the first time I wrote some things down. Yeah. But normally I don't. And uh, I asked for certain things. And about two weeks later, uh, an email came, which shocked me with one of these (laughs) things. And I was in shock. And I said, oh, I need to be more particular next time. (laughs) Let's write a more detailed list with a few parameters. (laughs) Exactly. Because, you know, if you're going to (laughs) ask. I'm a huge list maker. And um, I quit making art for about 15 years because of all the bad experiences I had in my undergrad. I I was about to graduate. And that same prof said um, in the middle of a shitstorm critique, um, you should never paint again. 
And it was at the end of four years of just getting pounded, (laughs) you know, that, yeah, that I was just like, it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I tried, you know, I tried for another year or so, but like, I just second guessed everything I was doing. And I'd lost that knowing who I was. I was the art kid growing up all through high school. My mom is an artist. Like that was who I was and I lost it. Yeah. And so I became a graphic designer and, and tried to hide out over there for a while, Mm -hmm. but I kept having this like gut pull back to the art world. And, you know, and like you said, I found my way back and um, I'm actually working with PETA coin right now. You you know, PETA, right? Uh, we had shows together. Yeah, in the 80s, I think, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, Peta and I've been getting together every couple of weeks and sort of working on, you know, she's kind of helping me with my work now. And it's been invaluable because I'm finally at a place where I am ready for that. I am ready to push myself. You know, I'm 40, almost 48 now. And it's like, now I know who I am, what I want to say, how I want to say it. Um, I'm heading into sculpture and, and mm-hmm. assemblage and stuff, because exactly what you said, that's, it's the idea. And th- this is the medium that's going to make mm-hmm. that idea realized. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's such, you know, so my path has been all over the map and I, I've never felt so good as I do right now. And a huge part of it is other people, you know, like reaching out to the right people. And so I was going to ask in your gap between your MFA and going to Cranbrook, did you, were you part of any, cause I know, you know, um, you had all these amazing feminist, you know, examples around you. Did you, you know, put yourself into any crit groups or start, like, did you guys have groups where you got together or were you just doing your thing? Well, um, I taught part-time mm-hmm. and in, uh, and I taught kids, four-year-olds. <laughs> I taught, uh, 90-year-olds. I taught community college, very part-time. You know, you can have five classes and not be able to make enough of a living. Right. You know, and it's still the same. And where you know? were you then? Were you in I Detroit? Lived, or? No, I lived in Connecticut. I mean, Yale was Connecticut. And my partner at the time, uh, we were partnered for 20 years. And... Um, he went to Hunter, but we couldn't afford to move to New York. So we lived in an area of Connecticut where he could uh, commute. And um, I was fairly isolated there because most of the people I knew went to New York. Right. Then when we could afford it, we took a space with a group of other people and kind of went there on the weekends to New York. Um, I did a... And so I kept up with college. I want to colleagues maybe isn't the right word friends you know mm-hmm, who were yeah. artists who, who were artists uh I met Peter Coyne oh boy in was it 19 I'd have to look at my resume 1979 yeah no no because I was at Yale in 79 80 in sometime in the 80s and I was in a few group shows with her um and Connecticut was in close enough distance to go into New York to look at art and talk to people and keep up with some people. Um, but I lived in pretty much Connecticut and I had a very cheap rent where I could do my work, whereas the people in New York were juggling right. nonstop. 
Yeah. You know, and like smart. You know, well, but it, I was isolated. Right. You know, I wasn't in a community, but I was able to meet people when I took a space with my friends that were sculptors from Yale. You know, they had an open space and it was cheap, and I was able to keep it and bring work there. I did all kinds of things to be part of a conversation, you know, part of that. Mm -hmm. But um, I was so critiqued out after grad school. (laughs) I got to tell you, it took me five years not to hear the words to have a conversation inside my brain with somebody who had been in grad, you know, at grad school. Yeah. And I remember saying it needs to be a conversation to myself over and over again, like no longer a critique, answer back, you know, they say X, what do you really have, you know, want to say, what do you think? That right. sort of thing. Yeah. And um, it was a lot of different things. I was like really juggling all different stuff and I would get in shows uh, a lot of nonprofit spaces, um, you know, good, really good things. And, you know, like when I did this group show with Peter Coyne, it was Peter, Sydney Blum, and myself at PS122. We each had one piece in the show. It was written up in the Friday New York Times. Wow. And it was wow. like, okay. So, and then from there, I literally, uh, from there, there was a Sunday article in the Times about sculpture, and they were talking about the figure, and and they said, as diverse as Joel Shapiro, Beverly Fishman, <laughs> and it was like nuts. <laughs> I didn't have a p- penny to my name. <laughs> nothing happened afterwards, okay? Nothing, nothing happens, like you know, you're in the blah, 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 nothing, (laughs) you know. Nobody brought you a crown and a... No, everything was, my work was extremely visceral and it was dealing with viscera and people weren't going to hang it kind of like, I don't, I want viscera on my, on my wall. Uh, You know, (laughs) it was, it's, so it was like a really long road. Uh, Things were happening and things happened. And sometimes I'll look back, you know, at my resume, because I don't remember so much of, you know, decades of things. And I'll say, wow, that was really cool. You know, that right. was like an incredible thing. But it didn't like go from there to right. whatever. Yeah. It, just, it just went up and around and, you know, and I was visible but there were no crit clubs and I'm not in any crit clubs and I've never been interested in being in them. I think uh, that's probably because I talked about my students' art. I was the sole mentor for 26 years. The last thing I want to do is fucking talk about art. I mean, you can't get me. Like I go back and I am a visiting critic to the prayer book painters, okay? And I give them 190%. The point is I love being a mentor Mm -hmm. and that's when I talk, but you can't get me to like do it, you know? (laughs) I mean, I did it nonstop. 
nonstop. Yeah. And I was the only one. So it's like, I'm told you're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'm not because I'm, I was just a visiting critic on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, I did the whole department and I love it. Yeah. I love it. But for myself and in a crick club, um, I'd be much happier to be with a few uh, people talking about, you know, feelings, like how right. they feel about in the studio or, you know, uh, yeah. but like critiquing someone else's work. Um, when I, when students leave and I see them, I will ask them, who do you want? You know, they'll say, I want you to look at my work. I'll say, who do you want? Do you want the real Bev who critiqued you in grad school? Do you want a supportive Bev that's like, you're a peer, congratulations? You know, do you want support? Because I won't go into any situation anymore, not understanding what somebody really wants. Because the word critique, you know, it used to be people, artists go to each other's studio and basically it was social. Right. It's so great to meet you. And oh, I love the work. And, you know, like nobody's going to dive in and dig in and like, you know. So I had a friend of mine who was very mad at me, really, really mad because I was very critical of the work. And I, that, from that point on, and they became not mad at me, you know, they, <laughs> and from that point on, I realized like, you need to ask someone. You Where know, what, are you? Yeah. And what do you what, need? What, yeah. what you really want. Yeah. You know, Be particular. There's a theme. There's a theme developing here. <laughs> well, cause some people want support mm -hmm. and we, you know, all of us know the words have an effect and if we don't want them yeah you know yep. and when you're in school that's all these people do and that teacher whoever that teacher was his ego was being fed by putting people down yeah and that he did not feel he was big enough or secure enough to not do that and that is so damaging to young artists and I'm, I'm aware of that and I know that and I know that that goes on over and over again and it disgusts me because those people need to get out of teaching mm -hmm. because they're not being helpful. You can be incredibly critical and helpful. Yes. And that's your goal. That's what your goal should be is to be helpful critically and you want the best for right. that person. And he had malice. Yeah. And, and I was too is, young to understand that, I think, in that moment. How could you? Yeah. It's, you know, and the thing is, it's so damaging. And um, it goes on all throughout the country. Yeah. You know, on and on and on. Yeah. Well, one of your students, um, Samantha Fields, <laughs> she more, she is more than a student of mine. Yeah, that's what she said too. She I had her on the podcast years ago and um we've met we've become really good friends and I've spoken in her class at CSUN and stuff and um I I reached out to her and I said, "Do you think that 
Bev would come on my podcast. And she was like, try. Cause she's like, she's so amazing and full of stories and information. And she, that's what she said about you, about, um, working with you at Cranbrook. She said her quote unquote critique. She said they weren't critiques. It was feedback. And she said, she always knew what people needed when they needed it. And she said it was a very, you know, which is amazing. Like what a, now that's what you want to hear as, as an educator, right? That you saw those people in front of you. You know, it's, um, because my studio was next to their studios. I, and psychological, I'm interested in the psychology of people. Like I'm, I'm not interested in the surface. I'm interested in, and I could walk into a studio and just by the arrangement in the studio and what was going on, I knew what the, what their issues were. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could see their issues and they would say, how do you know? I said, it's right in front of me. It's like literally right in front of me. Or someone will say, you know, how did you know to say that? It'd be kind of like, I don't know, you know? Uh, But that's what was so draining for me because, because I didn't come at it just from the head, you know, as an idea or an intellect. You know, I cared. I felt. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of artists, it doesn't matter how old you are, are suffering. You know, they suffer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be, you know, general, but like it's not always it's not like, oh, happy day. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We're a sensitive people too. You know, we're yes, yeah. it's yeah. really and and you know, and so uh like even with me doing the five, I did five each day of the Zoom and I was drained dry. Yeah. That's how I felt. And I would talk to other fat, other people and they'd be like, five, I can do all 15 in a day. I'm like, how can I? I would have crawled. I couldn't have. No. one. And so like everybody's makeup is kind of different. Yeah. And I, I know... Uh, Sam and I really connected and I really connected to her work and her psyche. I don't know if everyone else got that, you know, as who I am and, you know, because you're one person Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was always aware, like, I may not be the right fit for this person. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I would think to myself, uh, I wish there were four other faculty you know, I, I'm not sure I'm reaching them. I'm not sure I'm using the right language for them. Yeah. Which totally makes sense. That's just a human thing, right? Well, a lot of, again, a lot of faculty never doubt themselves. Mm. You think your male, that guy (laughs) doubted himself? (laughs) Never. No. I taught in colleges all over before heading the program at Cranbrook. I met those people. I heard those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, faculty slept with their students and did all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, it was, it's a male-dominated world. And, and um, you know, it's, it's difficult 
for all of all of what I experienced, you know, in the 70s, things have changed. But if you're telling me in the 90s, no, Bev, they didn't change. These people exist. They're out there. They destroy people. They're, you know, they love destroying mm-hmm. someone, you know. Uh, if I was going to tell someone they shouldn't paint anymore, there'd have to be a reason. Yeah. And what they should do. But don't paint. Feeling, Maybe you should try sculpture, you know, but, like something. But do you know that painting in my mind to become a great painter, most people paint for 20 years. This idea of four or five years of painting, it's like, I know. Bullshit. it's bullshit. It's a craft. It's, it's like, it takes, and if you make representational painting and you want a specific thing, I would go to students. I'd say, you have to teach yourself this. You cannot jump over this. For right. the work you're going to do. And it is labor now. You every day you have to uh, really start learn how to paint so that you don't have to you you have the skill set to be able to do exactly what you want to do. Yeah. And some of them took it on. And I said, you know, undergrad and grad school, it's the beginning. It's not the end. Yeah, you're not supposed to come out done. Well, in you can't be done no like you're too but I think young. some people even have that expectation of themselves that well that's about money and career yeah. now that's right. a career thing yeah you're done you finished you have a body of work it's going out into the world you know it's going to sell I look I've had students uh from Cranbrook leave they've never worked a day in their life except in the studio hmm. they make an excellent living showing they're very successful there are people that that happens to and my view always is 10 years from now 20 years from now 30 years from now let's mm-hmm. see yeah it's not let's see in a negative way it's like were they able to negotiate all the stuff uh were they able to continue to develop their work did they have yeah. that level of maturity to, you know, be able to say no? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. speaking of work, we've talked for this whole time without even talking about your work. <clears throat> so let's talk about what you're doing now. Cause I just wrote about you the other day, your work, your paintings and your sculpture. Well, first of all, I can't believe they're paintings because nobody, even in my post, people are like paintings, what they are beautiful and clearly you have put decades into your craft because no I don't make them what I don't make my own paintings now what are you talking about they are made with I have several full-time people that I've worked with for years and years like fabricators is that right I call them an extension of my brain (laughs) you know they're not fabricators in a distant way right i make collages color collage and my painter has to color match with his eye okay yeah this isn't like xyz you know go get the color this is i hand him color and he is brilliant and i've worked with him for about eight years wow um, I have somebody who makes the forms that works for me full time. But anybody who works with me 
works not in my studio, but they, I work extremely closely, obsessively closely with them. I mean, when I make a form, the drawing goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, oh, it needs a half an inch more or that curve doesn't feel right. Um, so it's not a, a cool detachment for mm -hmm. me. It's a skill set that I don't have that I want conceptually in the work that it needs to be that way. And do you know how many people I went through to find people that I could work with? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, because they have to think kind of like I think, I mean, they have to understand it's not, it's not okay enough. Right. There's nothing okay enough. It's either right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Things go back, you know, I make forms, they come to the studio, they sit around for years, they're just not right. They're just not right. I mean, everything I make never leaves, the, you know, there's a huge amount that never leaves the studio, ever. Things get painted over and over again. So my process is, and it became that way when, and it, years ago, actually, years and years ago, when I had a full body rash, I had a severe allergic reaction to my cast resin work. I didn't oh. have enough protection or whatever, and I could no longer be around it. Oh my and, gosh. And that happens, you know, if you are not using the correct stuff, and I had to find someone, you know, who could help me. And then I had to learn how to have a conversation with them and be able to tell them what I was looking for. Well, I was going to say, is that a hard jump when you've gone from doing all the things yourself to now relying on someone else? Did you feel? No, because it's been decades now. Okay. But when you first did it, though, did it feel, was it an odd, did it feel well, awkward? I guess you needed the help. Well, actually, Samantha helped me in the studio when I got severe carpal tunnel, which wow. I still have. So, uh, and for the last year in the pandemic, I've been cutting all the collage. I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah. So I, so now my carpal tunnel is raging. Oh. I mean, through my whole arm up the, my back because I have done all the cutting and I work every day and I got severe carpal tunnel. I went to the hand people. I mean, it was bad. I wore a thing. When I wore the thing, I couldn't do my work. They told me to change my work. Uh, I, they built me something so I could wear. And then it was about, I never took days off in between with these repetitive motions, uh. you know? And so that's when I would cut the collage and Sam would come in for a brief amount of time because she was a student, you know, and glue them down. Wow. Because I could no longer glue them. I mean, I was in agony. And, um, and it was strange, you know, it was strange. And then the work evolved into the resin work and I was doing all the work. I mean, I was suiting up and I would, you know, mix the color. I was doing it all. And then one day I had this like massive uh, 
rash, you know, this whole ex thing that happened. And I couldn't really, and I'm still hypersensitive to toxic materials now, meaning I would go into the department, I could smell if someone had sprayed the night before, but did uh, it in their studio. I mean, I immediately get a, like a head rush and it's yeah. horrible. So I had to figure out ways to be able to conceptually, the way I thought the work needed to be and work with others in different capacities. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is so cool. And I don't know if it was cool, it was shocking to me yeah. when these things, you know, as these things happen. And But so, see, you could have quit. Like some people could have been like, okay, well, I guess I'm done. Like, I love that you're like, oh, hell no, I'm not done. I'm just going to well, figure I, out a new way. Well, I had no desire to be done but like with the collage stuff, that was an e a fairly easy fix. When I moved into the resin, I had to name colors, you know, when I'd ask for a certain color, because I wasn't in there mixing, right. I'd say it's that color, it's that color, it's this. And I had to give direction because it was in layers. And um, I was able to figure that out. And they were usually my graduate students who wanted to work in the summer and they'd work with me. And that was fabulous. Then the work continued to change and it was collage sign vinyl where it was machined. But when it came back, I, I cut, I put it down. Right. Somehow I was able to, with that work, not need someone else to do it. You know, I was, and, and, you know, the doctor would always say the physical therapist, you need, it's like baseball, you know, it's like the pitcher. He throws one day, he, she, and then the next day they're off. I said, right. I can't, I can't take off every other day. I really should have learned how to do that and figured that out because it, you know, it would have helped my my core. It really, really would have helped, but I didn't, you know, I didn't. I have a show. What are you kidding? I have a show. I can't, what are you kidding me? I can't do that. I mean, there's so many other parts to the studio. I could have, have figured it out, right. but I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and as the work continues to evolve, and you had mentioned in the glass, I never learned how to blow glass. I, I won I was awarded a glass residency where I worked with glass blowers who made and what I needed them to make. And I worked back and forth and every couple of weeks I was there and they came to my studio so I could talk about the kind of patterns that I was looking for. Yeah. And there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with that. Um, I want to so, do that so badly. And that was a successful, you know, with those people, those particular people. Right. And then when the work developed in the recent body of work, which is really maybe eight years, which isn't that recent. I mean, because there's a ton of work. Um, I found through a tremendous amount of trial and error, finding people who 
understood what I was thinking and, you know, who could make the painting. And I've been working with the same person who was working at a shop who I then took the leap and said, uh, called the owner of the shop and said, I would like him to work full time for me. Uh, I didn't know how I could afford to do this. But what was happening was he, they were getting different projects. And so I'd have to wait three, four weeks to get oh. back in. And I was like, this is getting weird. This is my work. You know, I can't. So I took a risk and it's, you know, I, I'm not going to be la la land. This, everything worked out. You know, but that, yeah, I mean, but it's a risk. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Huge. And then, you know, I work with people out of state. And I work, you know, I've had work stolen. I started working with a painter in California and he still has my work. He's disappeared. What? <laughs> okay. Oh my God. And if it wasn't a pandemic, I would come to California, but I'm not coming to California. So, uh, you know, this is going on for months and, um, oh you know, and highly recommended, but disappeared for everyone, not just me. Wow. Not like he disappeared on me and right. didn't disappear on the other, uh, you know. Yeah. And so when you're working with other people, you're trying to find someone that has your kind of mind, you know, you can connect with. And I did fabrication with different places where it was like pulling teeth, like they didn't get it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know, like I would say, you know, that finish is horrible. That's not what I want. I want like a car. You told me it would be a car. It's not a car. And I'd be screaming, you know, <laughs> screaming. And um, so there's a lot of uh, trial and error I make all the collages. I make all the decisions on the form. I make all the decisions of the color. I make all the decisions of the scale. I make all the decisions when it comes back, whether it's good or not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm like deeply entrenched in everything. If I have a question, the painter has to take pictures all along the way. I'm not sure. No, no, no. I know you finished it, but I don't like the color. I can tell we're going to go with a different color now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, I know I decided on this, but I've changed my mind already. <laughs> you know, I'm not, it's not, you, uh, like I finished a piece that's actually, I have a solo exhibition opening at Gavlac May 1st. Oh, great. Yeah. In LA. And um, like anything, if nothing can be wrapped or boxed. I need to look at it carefully. You got to shoot it, you know? And I'm like, ah, it's not done. Wow. Like, well, it's, he says it's like done. I said, well, what if we do this? He said, well, that's a whole new paint job. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, yeah, it's still not. I kept looking at it. I said, wait till tomorrow. And I kept looking at it. I'm like, no, it's not done. It's got to have this and this. It has to. I mean, it just wasn't. Yeah, it's got to go on the wall and you have to be happy that it's on that wall. And. So it's being repainted? 
Oh, it was already. Okay. <laughs> it was, it, and the adjustments that needed to be made, you would think, oh, it's just a fraction of the piece, but no, it needed a repaint because, wow. you know, and the thing is, uh, so when you say, oh, it's fabricated, and I think to myself, I'm not sure what you mean when you say that. Or yeah, think. no, I'm so glad I'm, you explain. Yeah, I, I'm telling you what I do and think and how I work. And it is um, completely involved. Yeah, of course. I knew you would be. I just, I, I'm so curious level. about all of that right now. Like working with um, a lot of artists I've had on recently work with other people. And I just think that I'm such a control freak, but I'm getting to a point where there's some things that I would really like help with. And then, yeah, it's just such a weird thing you to get have, your head around. The biggest thing is finding people that you want to work with that you can afford to work right. with, you know, and that um, are time, you know, on time and aren't, you know, dragging things out. It's, it's a very intimate relationship. Well, and it's what you said sort of at the beginning too, is, you know, your work has always been driven by the idea and, mm -hmm. and it's exactly the same. It's like, I have this idea and these are the skills and the materials I need to make this idea happen. And it's still your idea. Well, the other yeah, thing- it's, it's really the, great. Well, there, the other thing is there are a million people that can make things. Yeah. You have to find the person that makes it like they understand what you're looking for. Yeah. And the other part of it is there was a moment with my skill set where I remember, I mean, I taught myself the resin, you know, I taught myself a lot of stuff. And then it, there reached a point where um, I needed molds made, I you know, casts made mm -hmm. for the resin. And uh, like each piece had like 170 elements in them, <laughs> something like that. And they could be reused in a different way, but they were going to be hand poured. I thought, okay, this could take either two years, literally two years, or I could bring in people to help me do this so that I could get to what I really wanted, which was the mold so that I could make the thing and right exactly yeah. and uh also I was teaching full-time and that I realized you know different like I have a very good friend who teaches is still at Cranbrook he will take he will fly somewhere and take a four-day intensive tempera painting class so he can learn wow he learns unbelievable skills cnc he learned it all he has to do everything himself and we've gotten into big conversations about this because his time on the cnc machine is like hours i said but you're standing there somebody else could be doing that while you're doing this other thing uh i said do you understand that like the volume of time you know the sheer right. volume and uh, I said, the bottom line is you feel you need to do everything yourself and you're willing to learn the skill set and you'll do whatever you need to do to learn it, which I applaud 
you know, fabulously. I mean, it's incredible because he could go anywhere and do his own thing. And whereas I'm tied to like, you know, uh, that person, if, you know, he's been in the hospital, oh my God, I'm at a standstill. Right. You know, I mean, it's, you know, and it's what that is. Yeah. But then on your side, you can do things a lot faster. And I also could do the parts of it that I love. Right. Which I really, really love. And, um, and if I wanted to, because I now don't teach full time, I could learn that. So if I desired it, I could. Yeah. It's if it's on your list, you will. (laughs) Well, it's a choice. It's a choice we make. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not without, uh, it's not without pros and cons. Yeah. You know, so I say, you know, I always tell my, used to say to my students who were um, stretching huge canvases, huge. And I say, either you stretch them or you make enough money for someone else to stretch them. Or you learn how to photograph your work in really, really well, because that's how people are going to see it. Yeah. Or you pay someone who has that skill to come in, but it can't be shitty. (laughs) You know what I mean? It can't be crap. (laughs) You know, like your, your photos are so awful, you know, they're not going to help you kind of thing. Right. Or you stretch the canvas and it's bowing. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we've tried to fix like, uh, like a huge canvas these are the things that artists like this is the the nuts and bolts the day to day yeah and see i think this is what exactly when you said you know you took that break and you didn't start teaching at cranbrook right away it's like you learned all this stuff you lived all this stuff but i i learned through part-time teaching yeah so without all the administrate administration which is huge and i made mistakes all along the way but they weren't the highest stakes right. mistakes. You know, they weren't at, I finally got the job. Uh, so I always was, I learned like, you, you need, I needed to learn how to teach. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. how to teach. Yeah. I know it's so funny. Like just because you're a good artist doesn't mean you'll be good at teaching art. Oh my God. You know, and that happens all the time. No, no, no. There is no, that is not an equation. Yeah. There are great artists that should never teach. They don't want to teach. They should go find another way to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) I have, okay. I have one more question. I've kept you for so long, but it's just so interesting. Okay. One last question. I want to know, the way that you title your recent work, your, your sort of medication work, very often there will be like a little list of ailments. So there's one that's digestive problems, comma, asthma, comma, depression, comma, depression. Now, and there'll be four panels. Are those, those yes. are from the yes. different packages for those things. But I look, it, right? No, not packages. Oh. They're from the pills themselves. Oh, the pills themselves. Okay. And also fragments of the pills right so a lot of the pills score and then where some of them have openings that is not in the 
a lot of times that is not in the design. That is me trying to show what's missing or what's inside that packet. That inside this glossy object is a chemical reaction. Right. Okay. Now, why? Why are there those four things? I, w- I was like, is that, a, is that like a portrait of somebody who's on all these meds? <laughs> no, it's about design and those particular forms that I'm interested in and that combination. Okay. Although somebody did ask me if I would do a portrait and I would love to, but my portrait would be the sum total of what that person takes. Right. You know, yeah, that's what but I was a lot of t- but a lot of times, you know, they take all circle pills, and that's right. very interesting to me. You know, <laughs> good or, point. You know, the the lot of the generics are the same, and so I'm looking at form, I'm looking at content, but I'm also looking for interest, you know, interesting, compelling combinations of form. Right. So there's an aesthetic, a highly aesthetic component or formal component that's in the work. So right. it's me moving back and forth. Got it. And why did you, what, what was this interest in the medication? Where did that well, come from? I was interested in the cell way back and how minute shifts in the cell could generate or mutate and cause uh, illness or wellness or mm-hmm. being a woman or a man or shifting color of hair. And with that came uh, wellness, you know, this, this overwhelming uh, uh, focus at the time on the new, better you, the quicker you, you know, the more productive. Uh, don't go sit on a couch for five years and learn about yourself. You know, and there was more and more conversation with women about what you're taking, which was always taboo. But uh, it became much, much less taboo. And then, honestly, all the advertising of pharmaceuticals, which is allowed in this country, um, started to become Prozac Nation, started to, you know. So the story was, you know, shift your cells, you're either well or sick, or you end up with something or you end up short or tall, uh, to wellness, to the cure, which was also a disease in our culture. So it's always looking for that. Right. That, and so there lies my interest in medication and advertising and the way in which we're sold wellness and illness. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too. The quick fix thing is so interesting. Yeah. Well, we have to perform. Yeah. And everything right now is so quick, right? You're supposed to do everything so quickly. You're it, spo- start, it started way back. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's just to the point that like, what, you didn't answer my text in 15 minutes? What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. It's exhausting. Wrong? That's right. You're always on. Yeah. So with always being on, that creates a whole host of, of, mental and physical issues yeah yeah and yeah and and so the gavlak show that opens may 1st you said and it's called love letter to la are i guess you can you go you can't i won't go my work will go okay yeah would you normally if there wasn't a pandemic 
normally I would go out and see friends and stay yeah. for like 10 days and have a blast. Yeah, I know. I mean, um, you know, no, yes, I would, but I'm being extremely careful. Yeah. And uh, I want longevity and wellness, not uh, that was great, you know, and now I'm sick. Yeah, I know. I'm being super care. I haven't gone anywhere. I, I usually travel a ton and I just haven't gone anywhere in a year. I and think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, we have to do, we are looking at the long view, not the yeah. short view. Yeah. And then I have exhibitions lined up through, through, you know, uh, 2022 and into 2023. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, I'm, j I'm, I'm just working on several exhibitions simultaneously. That's so great. And, and really a lot of other projects that are in the works. Can you tell us about any of them or are they top secret at this stage? Um, well, I make prints, you know, uh, I do make prints and I continue that and I love that. Um, but I'm going to expand editions. I'm going to have a stainless steel edition sculpture, small wow. table, a tabletop. And I'm also building larger sculpture uh and i'm just i'm just doing a lot i mean everything seems like interesting to me so <laughs> yes i'm saying yes yeah well and you're and you're you're not teaching like you know you've no, got this time so, you know what there's only so much time in a day yeah i know you know I know. I feel like that right now too. I'm like, how can I negotiate an extra six hours in each day? Like that would be really helpful. You know, I remind myself all the time, like I don't take a day off, but when I can travel, when we're clear to where it's safer, you know, I absolutely want to go see my brother and sister and, you know, I have a niece and, you know, I am my husband's mother who's going to be 91. Wow. You know, it's like, I want to, and I, I will take time to do that, but I will be working with my people every yes. day. It's like yeah. nothing will stop. No. That's how I can go away. Right. That's amazing. Thank Bev, you, you know what? This. Thank you so my much. Pleasure. My pleasure. My it absolute was, pleasure. It was so nice to meet you. Like, actually, I hope to meet you in LA at some me point. Me too. How amazing would that be? And uh, maybe, and, and we can go out with Sam. The three of us can go out. How great Fabulous. would that be? Fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, thank well, you. thank you. And good luck with all the shows. And uh, I'll see you on Instagram. Yes, okay. absolutely. Bye. Bye. Okay, I have to make that happen. Hanging out in LA with Beverly Fishman and Samantha Fields. I would just sit quietly with a glass of something delicious and listen. Okay, who am I kidding? I'd have way too many questions for both of these amazing artists to just sit there quietly. Thank you so much to Bev for giving us so much of her time, attention, and wisdom. Now I think I might just have the tiniest inkling of how her students at Cranbrook must have felt. Everything Bev and I talked about, including her show, Love Letters to L.A., that opens at Gavlet Gallery on May 1st, um, in L.A., of course, is over on my site right now. So just pop over to thejealouscurator.com for all of the images and links, 
And while you're there, feel free to become a member of the No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society. As always, I can't sign off without saying a huge thank you to all of you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend, and if you're a society member, there will be fresh art delivered to your inbox on Monday. See you then. Thank you.